Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is... is the Science of Motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White, and my other trusty co-host, Dr. Mika Batucci, is still on maternity leave, but she will be joining us very, very soon for some upcoming episodes. We are the dynamic duo um, who founded the wonderful FYC, Fill Your Cup, doula business. We are located in Melbourne and Hobart, Australia, and we have a doula village of wonderful, wonderful postpartum doulas who assist us in serving and nurturing and nourishing the mamas of Melbourne and Hobart. We do this through our wonderful in-home care services where We look after mums for either a day or a full six-week or 12-week program where we make beautiful, nourishing food and provide support, both practical and emotional, um, breastfeeding and bottle feeding, guidance. And we also do some wonderful postpartum planning sessions as well, which is always part of our program, or we do them alone if if that's what you're looking for. So if you're interested in having an opportunity to really enjoy your next postpartum experience, please feel free to drop us a line. We are at www.com ifillyourcup.com. You can contact us through our website or alternatively, you can see what we're all up to via our socials. So head on over to our Instagram page, which is at fillyourcup underscore, and you can see all the wonderful work that we are all doing together to serve our mamas better, because we all know that a happy mama is a happy baby, is a happy world. And on that point, I spoke to the wonderful Dr. Hilary Clare today. She is a clinical psychologist specializing in nutritional and environmental medicine. She's based in New South Wales and she was just wonderful to speak to. So what is Hillary's jam? She helps modern day mamas move out of exhaustion and overwhelm. Can I get a hell yes? She does this by building healthier, happier and calmer families as the mama reconnects with their true self. And she has actually written a book called The Motherhood Reset, A Clinical Psychologist's Guide to Finding Calm, Confidence and Contentment in Motherhood. My goodness, don't we all need a copy of that? It was such a beautiful discussion today. We spoke about where Hillary has kind of come from, where, you know, all these paths that she's taken in her career and how she's ended up where she is today. And we kind of really take a deep dive into how mothers can prioritize themselves and how they can kind of look after their own wellness alongside taking care of their children. And we talk about what wellness actually is and the fact that, you know, It kind of goes to that old saying, you know, when you get on the plane and it's, you know, if the oxygen masks come down, please fit your mask first before assisting others. Well, mamas, we need to start doing that a little bit better because if we're not well mentally, physically, emotionally, we are not going to be able to help our children, our partners, our community. And so this chat, 
is all about how we can all start moving in that direction and prioritizing ourselves and moving out of that exhaustion and overwhelm and postnatal depletion as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Remember, we would always love to hear your feedback, whether it be through comments or some reviews of our podcast. These are always greatly appreciated and gets us to a place where there is more awareness about this podcast and therefore we can help more mamas learn about being educated and empowered for tomorrow. So here is Dr. Hilary Clare. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Hilary, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited to have this conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. So as people would have heard from the introduction, you're a clinical psychologist specializing in nutritional and environmental medicine. And today, the focus of our discussion is going to be, I guess, on wellness and mamas prioritizing their wellness while still, you know, looking after their children. But you're in a previous life, similar to us, you were an academic researcher. Do you want to just touch on, because I love to talk about where people have come from and how they've arrived to where they are today. What was your academic research on? Well, some people stay with the same topic the whole way through and I've never been that type of person. So like when I was doing my honours, it was all about health psychology and people's self-efficacy around being able to sustain various health habits and changing health mm -hmm. habits. And then for my master's, I was looking at the impact of shyness on intimate relationships. And then, yeah, oh. completely different. And then for my PhD, I was focused on emotional intelligence specifically, looking at the first part of emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. So that's understanding what your emotions are. So first noticing them and then being able to articulate those and the impact that has on friendships, on well-being, on all sorts of things. So my PhD was specifically looking at the effect of that emotional awareness on friendships, but I was helping mm -hmm. with research with other people on the team looking at how it impacts on well-being and other things like that. So That's amazing. We recently did a post on social media around baby brain and how a woman's brain, oh, I hate the word baby brain. It's so, to me, it's so derogatory. And probably because I was like in the firing line of, oh, she's got baby brain. That's why she's so forgetful. And one of the things that we highlighted in that post was the fact that you level up and you have, a, a, I, I like the level up. So you're going from like from basic to intermediate level. And one of those things is emotional intelligence for mothers. Has that your PhD, when you're looking at emotional intelligence, has that kind of weaved into anything with motherhood? Do you do anything yeah, like that? It's, I think it's integral in all relationships and it, our emotional understanding impacts everything we do. So I think mm -hmm. I notice it in motherhood all the time, whether it's me checking in with my own emotions, me working with other mothers who are struggling with a variety of different challenges. That's always one of the key pieces, as well as mm -hmm. in my parenting, like right from the beginning, uh, when my kids were babies, I would be talking to them about, oh, I'm, I, mommy's feeling really impatient right now. And this is why, and I'm going to just take a deep breath. And they were, you know, a month or two old, but it helped me process it. So I bring it to mm -hmm. my mothering most days. You Some days you forget and then you think, shoot, why didn't I? That would have been really helpful. I got really caught up yeah. in my emotions there. But yeah, I bring it into everything that I do because it, it really does impact on how we're feeling, how we process those emotions, how we interact with our partners, with our kids, with everybody. And it even impacts on our overall health and our careers. Like it really, I am biased maybe because I do know that research, but it really is a critical piece in most things that we do. And it's something that's overlooked. It seems so simple. Just notice and name your emotions and 
go from there. But it is a key piece because if you don't have that, you can't respond to situations appropriately. You can't regulate your emotions in healthy, useful ways because you're just unaware. And that has so many ripple effects, whether you're doing it in a helpful way or not. 100%. I can definitely attest to that. Like if you, in my 20s, I was like an emotional wreck. (laughs) (laughs) I was someone who suffered from a lot of anxiety and I did not know how to regulate properly my emotions and I would just go from zero to crying or zero to anger and there was nothing in between and and it was a like I had to go back to basics and learn how to sit with the emotion understand the emotion why am I having this emotion and naming it as well. I'm a visual person and so one of the practices that I did was actually wrote down the emotion that I was feeling because to me my brain processed that and I had this tiny little book that I would always carry with me. I love that. <laughs> and I, I was like, God help us if anyone finds this. <laughs> but that's such a useful thing to and, do because often it gets all yeah. muddled in our heads and it's really nice to talk to somebody. That's why when my kids were really, really young, I would say it out loud to them because it was for me. Mm-hmm. I needed to express it. And writing it down is such an incredible way to see it for what it is and not be totally caught up in the emotion and be completely overwhelmed by it. But when you see it, oh, anxiety, okay, well, now I can choose what I do with that. It might be uncomfortable, but I've taken that first step to separate myself from it. Yeah. I love that you just said that. I can choose what to do with it now. And that is so important because you choose the path where that energy is going to go. And for me, like I said, it was always from zero to anger, zero to crying. And then I was able to choose that path. And it's funny because I kind of, sub not subconsciously, but I, it's like autopilot now. And I try to do that with my daughter. Like, you know, as you were saying, you have those days where you're just like, oh, my God. I'm going to explode. And she's looking at me as if to say, what's happening, mom? What are you doing? What's happening right now? And I just have to say, I'm really frustrated right now. I'm just going to need some space. And it's, it's so like, we are the role models for our children. And now like she's four and a half. She does it now. So if she gets frustrated, she looks at me, she goes, oh, Mum, I'm really frustrated. I'm just going to go take some space like this at me. And as much as I want to like hold her and cuddle her and just tell her, it's going to be okay, babe, it's all right, I have to respect that. And she goes, she's got like a little space in her playroom, like with a beanbag, and she just sits there. And I know it's so hard to like let her do that because I just want to like, oh, give her a big cuddle. But I know that if she sits with it and she typically comes out in about 10 minutes' time and she'll be like, okay, I'm ready or I'm really sorry for doing that, mum, or, you know, something like that. So we are our children's role models and I love the fact that we are looking after our own selves and in turn we're looking after our own children by having those conversations with them as well. Yeah, we are their role models and if – so much of parenting is focused on what can we do to help our kids. But if we help ourselves to do things, whether it's processing our emotions or eating healthy food or having good sleep hygiene, whatever it is, that's the best way for our kids to learn. Cause they just see that's what people do because we are such a big part yeah. of their world that what we do rep- like indicates to them this is what people do so I'll just probably do that too Mm -hmm. and that's subconscious we don't have to necessarily directly teach them everything I think that Mm -hmm. that watching that modeling that indirect way of learning is so much more important it's not saying like Mm. you know don't do as what is it don't do as I say do as I say yeah exactly yeah that is just so much more that's like my philosophy in life (laughs) it works so much better right and it's okay Uh, with like with emotions sometimes I don't uh, act the best way and I regret what I did but then I can tell my kids and that's part of modeling too yeah sorry yes I just yelled there that wasn't how I wanted to act in that situation I'm feeling really I was feeling really angry and impatient and I acted in a way that 
I wouldn't like to, but I'm sorry about that. You know? And yeah. that's okay. Right? Yeah. That's teaching them as well that we're not perfect and that we can say sorry. And that's all part of it as well. Mm, 100%. When I was doing some research, I was on your website and I want to read out a paragraph because it really hit me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's just part of your bio, but yeah. Okay. In my career, I've worked as a clinical psychologist and a clinical team leader, conducted academic research, written peer-reviewed articles and reviewed for academic journals, taught psychology tutorials at universities worked as a personal fitness trainer and taught yoga and mindfulness. Now I have the most challenging of all jobs, being a mum. And I just, that just gives me tingles all over because it is so true. Like you're such an accomplished woman and then you've got motherhood and you're like, this is like, this is it. This is the peak. So my question from that is, had you worked with mothers prior to becoming a mum? And if so, what kind of glimpses into motherhood did you see? And you kind of were like, hold on, what's going on here? When I become a mother, I'm going to learn from these experiences. Well, I did go into motherhood still naive, despite my experience. I thought because I have all this training in psychology, I've worked with lots of kids, teens, parents. I've taught parenting programs. I thought, okay, I think I have this. My Yeah, I got my husband this. was a GP, <laughs> so he kind of has the emergency side of stuff figured out and I'll have yeah. the other side of it figured out. And it was still a complete shock and really, really challenging. But I guess the work that I did do before, a few things that I took from it were Often I would work with kids or with teenagers and the parents would just drop them off and expect the child and I to work through whatever their issues were. And I always wanted the Mm -hmm. parents to be really involved in that because that was when the most impact and change happened for the child. So I knew that I had to be present and involved in my kids' lives. That was something I took away Mm -hmm. from it. And I guess another part was, yeah, the parents, they care so much about their children. They'll do anything for their children but they still sometimes have moments where they don't necessarily like their children and that's okay Mm -hmm. because I worked with enough parents especially when I was teaching some parenting courses that felt that way and there's a lot of shame around that but it is also a common experience but Mm -hmm. despite the work that I did beforehand with with parents uh, it still didn't equip me to be one I don't think it probably helps. It does help, but parenting is really challenging. It's, it's continual. It's 24 seven. You don't get that break. You don't have that hour with a client or a two hour group. And then you get to leave and go home. It's Mm -hmm. consistent. It's relentless. And that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you think your biggest challenges were? Was it feeding or sleeping or like, as you say, you're on that, I call it the carousel and you just like, I want to get off. I want to get off this. I remember day three, you know, when the hormones are just like, and you get the baby blues and everything. I remember handing Eva back over to my husband saying, right, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was like, okay, um, I think it's time to call the nurse. <laughs> He's like, we're, we're, we're on this journey now. And I was like, I, uh, I don't want to do, I don't want to do this right now. <laughs> was there like, what, what did you find the most, the most challenging? Was it that carousel or was there something in particular? For me, I think it was that I didn't have a village and I thought I could do it all myself because my family mm. and my husband's family were over in Canada And we had just Mm -hmm. moved to a new town and the only people that I really knew were other moms that were going through it as well. So that was amazing having them to meet with and talk about what are we doing? We don't know what we're doing. Like how is feeding going? How's sleep going? But I didn't have that village of like practical support. So that Mm -hmm. was really hard. And my husband was really busy with his work and studying for some exams and 
I didn't recognize early enough how much I needed from him and I needed from others. And I thought I've done everything else in my life, not on my own, but as independent, you know, you can get through life pretty well until you become a mom and you need that. So that took me a long Mm -hmm. time to let go of that expectation that I can do it all myself and I should do it all myself and I can do it all well Mm -hmm. while maintaining all these other aspects of my life that I was doing before. So that was, it was, it wasn't just like one specific day that it hit me. It just kind of added up over time. And then I started realizing I needed to ask for help and I needed that support. Mm -hmm. But I wish I had been able to recognize that or have that in place earlier because I know I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have struggled with everything as much. Yeah. Mika and I did a podcast episode. I think it's episode 24 and it is all around how to build a village and why and you know like it's we've got five steps to building a village because I know lots of people are like you got to build a village you got to build a village you can't do this by yourself we're not meant to do it by ourselves but it's like well that's great but how do I actually do that so we went through five steps of how to build a village and why it's so important and gave some like really good examples as well and it's all for me it's in hindsight because I was exactly the same Hillary I was like had always been rewarded for doing things by myself and you know I can do it all and we're all super women and blah 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 but it's like then you get to motherhood and it is the biggest slap in the face you have area for experience. Are you a type A personality? Yeah, I am. And I find that that super woman, that super mom belief so detrimental. But I got completely (sighs) caught up in it, not putting those words to it until I was fully in it and then realized, wow, this is what's going on. But it's so detrimental. We live in a society that is so um, individualistic. And yeah, we're all rewarded for doing things on our own. But there's a lot that we can't do on our own. And motherhood is one of those things. Mm-hmm. And that super mom belief is just so, so harmful, but it's so mm-hmm. rewarded too. So it's really like 100%. reinforcing when you do something yeah. and, or if you do something that goes against it and you, you get help mm-hmm. that can bring up shame that oh, I'm not, I'm failing. I'm not living up to that expectation. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing mm-hmm. motherhood well enough, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I still remember having a conversation with a work colleague. She was, she felt, she felt so shamed. She turned up to like a mother's group and I think she either didn't even have time to like bring, it was always like, you know, bring some food to share type scenario. And she either didn't have time, I can't remember, or like she, you know, ran into Woolworths and got like a packet of biscuits or something like that. And she she said, oh, my gosh, this woman keeps turning up every single week with, like, homemade baked goods and, like, this, this big platter and everything. And she in herself was like, oh, my God, I should I should be doing that. And I just said to her, not a chance. Like, if you – if all you can manage is a packet of biscuits from Woolies, fantastic. Like, she might be behind the scenes completely crumbling, but it's in her head that she thinks that she needs to rise to this level of baked goods and whatever. If she had the time, great. But at the same time, I think that level of expectation on women to do it all, have it all, be it all at the same time is just complete BS. And I was saying in our episode for The Village that Mika and I both decided, I think it was like last year, we kept seeing like this super women meme thing around motherhood and stuff. And I text her and I sent her the the Instagram and the social stuff. And I said, right, it is now an FYC policy that we never refer to mothers as superheroes. Done. It's not happening Good. ever again. It's so <laughs> and she was like, yes, like, it's not, yeah, it's not helpful no. at all. And it, it just keeps that stereotype alive and keeps us all scrambling because whether it's that mom who made those beautiful homemade biscuits it if she's reinforced with being called a super mom that forces her to keep mm-hmm. doing those things or it doesn't force yes. her but it motivates her to. she gets yeah, praise yeah, from it like I, and then the other mom yeah feels like a failure because she's not doing that which it it doesn't make sense like being a good mom doesn't mean that you have to 
do all the things. And it looks, motherhood looks different for all of us. Some of us love to bake those things and some of us don't. And that's okay. Both are okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you found yourself in, you know, a bit of a pickle in motherhood where you're like, okay, should have called on the village. I'm kind of losing it here. What did you do to kind of get out of that? How? Let's talk about that wellness, prioritizing your wellness whilst taking care of your children and their health. I want to actually just go back a step. Can we define wellness? What are we actually talking about here? Is it, and it's probably like mental wellness, physical wellness, emotional wellness. What were the types of things that that you didn't put into place to kind of come out of that? Yeah, I see wellness quite holistically encompassing all those things. So for me, since I didn't have that family support, I started getting more professional support. So I started seeing a psychologist. Mm -hmm. My back was really sore. So I started seeing an osteopath. I booked in with a a physiotherapist. I started going to yoga classes where there was a creche so I could have that time to help my wellness, like my physical health and my mental health. And one of, one really big thing was I was at, I would always take my child to everything with me because I had nowhere else to leave him and he was little and I didn't feel comfortable leaving him with a stranger. And I remember being, going to my psychologist and having him in the baby carrier and just be jostling him while I'm trying to like focus on myself. And I remember her saying, mm-hmm. you have to be your first priority. Your partnership with your husband has to be your second and your third is your child. And that's the best thing for your child. And it took me a while to really understand and agree with what she was saying in the moment. I thought, that's ridiculous. There's no way I can prioritize myself or even think about my husband right now. Like I have this child Mm -hmm. here that I have to keep alive. But over time, I really, I kept coming back to what she said. And in just small ways, I started to to prioritize myself. And I started to recognize like why that is so important. I think having that why behind it mm-hmm. was a real game changer for me. And when I recognized I was burning out, I was exhausted, my brain was foggy, I was impatient, I wasn't starting to show up as the mom I wanted to be or the partner I wanted to be, something had to change. And, so, and it was that taking care of myself that had to change. So continuing to go to those appointments to help work on my mental health and my physical health, that was a big part of it. And then it was just those day-to-day things of how can I prioritize myself today? Maybe it was when my husband came home from work, going for a walk by myself for 10 minutes or having a shower Mm -hmm. without my child Mm -hmm. either in it with me or crying outside the shower door. So it, it was some really small things that I just started to put in place and then also getting clear on like what kind of mother I did want to be, what kind of person I did want to be. Cause you, I lost touch with that. I was in survival for too long that I lost touch with, with who I wanted to be. So getting clear on my values, getting clear on those priorities and the life that I wanted to live and starting to just make day-to-day changes to move myself in that direction. But it's a mm-hmm. it's a process that I, I'm continuing to be in. It's not something that it was just one quick shift. It's every day I have to yep. check in with those things and keep moving myself in the direction that I want to. Yeah, 100%. And it's like it, it's because they're not necessarily tangible things because it's happening in your mind as well. It's something that you need to practice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for mamas out there to note, like it's similar to running a marathon, you know, it's like you would, you don't just wake up one day, put your runners on and go, I'm going to run a marathon. Like you actually train for it. You do little things, you know, that, what is that, that couch to 5k app that people have been particularly in lockdown have been doing. Cause they're like, I just want to be able to run 5k. You don't run 5k straight off the couch, do you? So you're not going to go from zero to like amazing in your head. And it is, it's small things. We talk about that actually a lot in our um, prenatal sessions for our mamas 
that we do our in-home care with and we get them to write down, we call them oxytocin boosters, and we get to get them to write down little things that perhaps, you know, I know this sounds awful, but that they loved doing before they came became a mum because it's like, okay, well, if I was to put myself in, in first place, what would I be doing? What What can I do in 10 minutes? And it is, it's go for a walk, listen to a podcast, take your feet into the grass outside and just kind of ground yourself. And it's that old saying to me, uh, you know, when you're on a plane, mamas, put your oxygen mask on first because if you don't have any oxygen, you're not going to be able to help anyone around you. I actually, in my (laughs) book, I have that written in it. Oh, you do? And we don't question it on a plane. We're like, well, obviously we have to so we can help others. But as mothers, we think, no, we can just run on empty and keep giving and yeah. keep giving and be completely selfless and like keep going. And that's unsustainable. We have to take care of our health. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's really, really important. And I work with people looking at like 10 different, I call them like nourishing non-negotiables. And those are just taking care of yourself. So if people are like a oh, whole, well, what do I do? How do I prioritize myself? One of them is mm-hmm. improving your sleep. You know, it could be one thing. It could be going to bed when your child goes to bed or not having your phone with you or like just doing one step that helps improve your sleep or looking at your food. Like how can you change where you're eating to really nourish your body? Because we're generally getting plenty of calories, but we're not necessarily getting enough nutrients and Mm -hmm. looking at movement. The example you gave, that's perfect. Like just doing those things and getting outside in nature and getting that sunshine on our skin and our feet in the grass and practicing gratitude and mindfulness and taking deep breaths and intentionally relaxing your body. These are all different things that can help to prioritize our overall well-being. So, and that looks different for everybody, like where they start, what they do, but that can give them a little bit of a framework to I guess, take off a box if they, if, if we need that. So it isn't just all in your mm-hmm. head of like, okay, prioritize myself, prioritize myself. What do I do? You can actually come to yeah. that framework of, okay, well, I can work on my physical health. I can work on that gratitude, mindfulness, relaxation, and my mental health. Or another one is play. Like how can we just in, in bring a little bit of play in? Because that's something I completely lost. Like I had no sense of humor. I had no concept of play in my parenting or in my life for a while there because I was in survival. So that's such Mm -hmm. a key nourishing non-negotiable for me. And it can be as simple as in the morning, we're all a bit grumpy and I put music on. That's it. Like it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but that's just prioritizing myself, making things a bit more enjoyable, that fun. It can be really simple things that we can do to make parenting easier and take care of ourselves. Yeah, 100%. I am right into uh, like music is definitely my therapy. It has been for a very, very long time, pre-motherhood. And I still remember, you know, those lonely days, those newborn days that are just monotonous. And in the end, I was just like, I'm just going to put some music on and I'm just going to like dance around with my baby. And those moments I still feel are one of the most beautiful moments I had with my daughter. And now transitioning, she's four and a half. If I can tell that, like, as you say, people are a bit grumpy and like we're having a bit of a rough day, I'll put the Spotify like playlist on and we'll dance in the kitchen. But the other thing that I think is a big win, especially for children, is water. Something, something happens. A switch goes off, and I'm, I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share a really, I think, quite a beautiful story about when we moved to Tasmania. We were locked down for two years in Melbourne. We came to Tasmania. We're in quarantine for two weeks inside the house. And for all those playing at home who know about our Tassie trip, we have now moved about five minutes from the beach. Now we arrived in September, but it was freezing still in Tassie. There was snow on the mountain. Like it was just crazy. But when we got out, we went down to the beach and 
it was probably about 12 degrees and my daughter was just, I could see she was dying to get in the water and I was like, oh, my God, it's so cold. And she was doing like those angel things on the sand mm. and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can see where this is heading. And she's like, mum, can I go in the water? And I said, darling, it's really cold. I'm, I'm really not sure. I didn't have a spare change of clothes. And she's like, it's okay. I'll just put my feet in. Mm-hmm. We know what happens next. She ran into the ocean and she was like screaming hysterically and she was laughing and it was like this hydrotherapy for her. And I, I almost feel like we're not religious, but I almost feel like it was like this baptism of like she's just like rinsing off all the just anxiety and craziness of our lives for the past two years. And now every single time she gets in a rut, I just take her down to the beach. She runs into the ocean and she's like a million dollars afterwards. Like it's just something switches in their brain. You're the psychologist, Hillary. You tell me what's going on. (laughs) Well, I think we're so disconnected from nature and we think that we have to do all these fancy things to take care of ourselves and to parent. But one of my key strategies, my go-to strategy for parenting, or if I'm needing to widen my perspective and I'm just really like having a hard day, it's to go outside and it's to go for a walk on the beach and or in the grass or wherever you can get and putting your feet on the soil or in the water. And yeah, we are part of nature and this is where our brains light up and this is where we get more energy and we're we feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. And I think that impacts on our mood and on everything. And it's so key. So probably getting in water or even getting all those like great negative ions and that cold water, which can kind of reset your parasympathetic nervous system and calm you down. And so nature is just it's the best. Like as much as I'm a psychologist and I work with people talking things through nature is such a key, key part of how I live my life and how I parent and how I recommend other people do too. It just makes everything so much easier and everybody is happier. Like it doesn't, it's just like, it's, it's, and it costs nothing. Like, you know, there's no gadgets, no, like it, yeah, it's just going down and, that just made oh, I like that. It resets the parasympathetic um, nervous system. And is that kind of like ice baths? Mm-hmm. Like I see people doing that, which I'm a little bit keen on trying. But, again, that's another one of those brave steps that I'll you have You can just have a, at the end of your shower, you can just t- turn it cold for like 10 seconds or something. And it just kind of gets your vagal nerve activated. So then you can ease, more easily get into your parasympathetic afterwards. So that can be the same as ice baths. I mean, ice baths, you're in it longer and there's more to it. But if yeah. even splashing your face with cold water is a good, a helpful thing. Beneficial. Yeah, and it kind of just resets things. So that can be really helpful. But, oh, I love that. I'm going to try. I'm going to start doing that. Okay, <laughs> it's on the list. But yeah, nature, it's the best. It is the best for sure. Amazing. Okay, so we've talked about kind of getting yourself out of that rut and and building that wellness around it. Do you have any advice for mothers who are about to become mums again or women who are about to become mothers, you know, preventing that postnatal depletion? You know, how do we build support and practices now so we're not finding ourselves, you know, down that dark, lonely well of motherhood, staring out, screaming, going, help me, help me, you know. Do you have any other kind of practices or or methods or strategies to kind of prepare yourself for that? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the situation. Some people, they really need to build up their village and they need to work on that. And for other people, it's about letting go of those unhelpful expectations or limiting beliefs that are going to prevent them from enjoying motherhood and being the best mom they can be, or letting go of 
perfectionism. That's something that can really get in the way for a lot of people, especially if you are a type A or high achieving, that may be an underlying tendency that you're going to have to just check in with and remind yourself of, okay, like, is this a belief say that I want to direct my behavior or is this a perfectionist belief driving this behavior that I'm doing and that's not helpful and just having that awareness when things come up can be helpful or even mm-hmm. with other limiting beliefs noticing like is this my belief or is this society saying that this is what good moms do or is this my own mother saying what good moms do so getting clear on different beliefs that are coming up different expectations that are coming up can be really helpful for a lot of mothers some more than others, and building in as many of those nourishing practices into your life beforehand in doable ways, so in shorter ways or in ways where you know you can maintain it because you have somebody there to watch your child, it can be helpful Mm -hmm. as well. But the more that you do take care of yourself beforehand, and the more you set yourself up for your first baby or your second, the better off you're going to be. And on that mm-hmm. note, like with a lot of mothers actually suffer from postnatal depletion where they are exhausted. They are literally depleted of nutrients. They're foggy. They're overwhelmed. They're easily like hypervigilant or stressed. And there's lots of things that can impact that. But one of them is your nutrient levels that you have. So it's really useful going into going into pregnancy, or at least if you're pregnant, you can do this as well, is checking your levels with an integrative mm-hmm. doctor or even a regular doctor and seeing where you're lacking and seeing if you can increase foods or potentially supplements to boost those levels. Because we know that if you are low on iron, zinc, selenium, like omega-3 fatty acids, all these things, you're not going to be functioning well. And then it's impossible for you to show up your best and do the best for your kids and be able to have the capacity to prioritize yourself. So that's a really, really important thing. And unfortunately, so many of us go into pregnancy already depleted and our bodies are already inflamed and not that healthy. And that's just going to get worse and it's going to get harder if you leave it and you add that birth and that breastfeeding and maybe subsequent babies onto that. So that's something really, really important to check in with. And you can do that at any point. Yeah, 100%. I think we've had on the podcast before Lily Nichols, who is an amazing dietitian and nutritionist, and she's got that great book, Real Food for Pregnancy. And it's about, Mika and I were talking about this other day, you know, it's there's a difference between being full and you can be full but you can be still lacking nutrition and it's about choosing you know the right foods to have pre-pregnancy during pregnancy and and post because i think people really underestimate the benefits of food on your mind And I'm just trying to remember there's a few different studies out there and it's completely escaped me. But, you know, as you were saying, things like DHA, vitamin A, omega-3s, iron, if you're depleted in those, that has a direct impact on your Mm -hmm. mental health. The research shows that. It's really, really clear. But I think, again, if (laughs) it's really hard in motherhood, like I was the you know, peanut butter toast and Tim Tams girl in in postpartum because I just didn't know and I didn't understand and I didn't have time as well. I hadn't built that village. But, yeah, preparing and, and having the knowledge and education will then empower mamas later on in life. Yeah. And the more you do yeah. beforehand or when you start noticing it, the better because like postnatal depletion is something that it – can be 10 years after you've had a kid and you're still suffering the effects of it. It's not like it's yep. just something that you like go through and it's over. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your overall health to help yourself get through that and not have that baby brain stick around for your life. Like we're not meant to yep. lose our memory. 
completely, right? Like, no, not- no, we're not. <laughs> we're meant to level up, but we're not meant to lose the brain. Yeah. And <laughs> I think that's really normalized in our society. And then that may make mothers think, oh, well, this is just what happens. But actually, yeah. that isn't. Yeah, we are supposed to level up. Our brains change, but that doesn't mean that we lose functioning completely. Right? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. That's indicating yeah. that there's an issue with your brain and your body. 100%. Okay, we're going to finish off with a couple of rapid-fire questions. My first one is, what's your, what would have been the top tip that you would have liked to have known before you had children? What's the number one thing that you thought, oh, God, why didn't anyone tell me about that? Oh, so many things. <laughs> <laughs> I guess something that would have, like, not like a complete game changer, but would have helped you. I think that I, well, two things that I really do need that village, even though I'm thinking I'm prepared and I can do this all myself. I can't, nobody, nobody can. And that's the norm. And also that it's really useful for you to get clear on your needs because mothers focus so much on, oh, does my baby need more sleep? Or do they need to burp? Or do they need to change their nappy? All these things, but we lose touch with our own needs. And that can just mm-hmm. have a really unhelpful effect in the moment as well as long-term. And we start not taking care of ourselves properly. So if somebody could have told me to just take a moment every day to get clear on what you need, and it can be as simple as like, you're really thirsty right now. Just have a glass of water. If somebody, yeah, told me to like, just make sure that you check in with your needs every day, that would have probably been quite helpful. Did you have a favorite resource, whether it be a book or a podcast or a workshop or something that helped you kind of transition into motherhood? Or even when you were in it, you found something that kind of like, you're like, oh, yeah. That would, that would have been really good. I listened to a lot of mothering podcasts, even like birth ones before, and they were amazing. One book that sticks out is The Postnatal Depletion Cure, and that one is just was really helpful for me to understand how we are supposed to be taking care of mothers as a society and how our society is failing mothers and what we can do as individuals caught in that system and struggling and what we can do to get ourselves out. So that one's not about general motherhood, but I think all mothers would benefit from it because that is an issue that unfortunately is just super common nowadays. It's, it's not normal, but it's really, really common that we struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is on our top five books to read by Dr. Oscar Serilak. He is Mm -hmm. amazing. And probably like one of, you know, a handful of men actually writing on the topic of motherhood as well, which I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have like a real masculine uh, or. No, like it really doesn't. Lovely. And I, it's amazing yeah. how he does care so much about women and he seems to understand it, the whole process of motherhood so well as an outsider. Yeah, 100. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think in the first part of the book, he explains why he got into this because he saw his own wife going through this struggle and like you know that's a very obviously intimate relationship and he would have seen that transition and for him to kind of bring that personal and professional kind of side to it and hold on a minute what's going on here like there's something not quite right about this situation Mm -hmm. so I read that oh gosh quite some time after I had Eva and so many pennies were dropping. I was like, oh, my God, yes, 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 all of that. (laughs) Yes, I should have done that. Yep. And it actually triggered me to go and, as you say, go get some blood work done, check where I was deficient and then work out, you know, a bit of a kind of nutrition reevaluation. You know, and think about my priorities um, for once. Our final question, which we ask all of our guests, is what do you keep on your bedside table? Well, we don't have a bedside table. We just, our room is just two queen beds pushed together and the four of us sleep together. So, oh, lovely. We're unintentional minimalists, I guess. And, but on the side of the bed, on the ground, there's some kids' books. 
but I am always reading. Yeah. So right now I'm reading, if that's what the question is, what I'm reading. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, reading yeah. This one, Hope is a Verb. It's all about, it's for people who are interested in like sustainability and the environment and how you can get overwhelmed by all the hard news and hard facts that are coming out and how we can take action in a way that is effective without burning ourselves out or getting super anxious about it. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, because I've actually stopped I stopped consuming news because it was just having too much of an effect on me. I was like, I can't. It's just it's too not, much. Yeah, <laughs> I finally got enough from randomly being at the gym once a week and seeing it. And, and that, if it's going to be that important, somebody will tell you, right? That's my philosophy around it. Otherwise, yeah, news just keeps me up at night. Yeah, 100%. Oh, Hillary, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Such an I feel like we've gone on a few different tangents and I've I've learned quite a lot from this. I'm gonna go do some eye showering after I um have my shower each morning. I think that'll be good. Can you let all the listeners know where can we find you? You've obviously you've got a book that's just come out called The Motherhood Reset, a clinical psychologist's guide to finding calm, confidence and contentment in motherhood. That sounds amazing. Where can we find you? How can we interact with you? So I have a website it's just drhillaryclaire.com and on Instagram and Facebook, it's the same, just at drhillaryclaire. The book, you can get through my website or Amazon, Booktopia, a few bookstores in Australia, but mainly online at this point. Amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. Head over to Hillary's website to purchase those books. And thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you so much. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.